1: Hashtag no days off, it's PFT PM on the Monday of a week when PFT Live is shut down. It's our now traditional week after the week after the Super Bowl dark week because things are kind of slower than usual in that week between Super Bowl aftermath and Scouting Combine. Although, as we know, every week of the year, no matter how slow it seems, there's something to discuss. Let's get right into it. This one landed out of the blue on Friday afternoon. Bob McGinn, who has covered the Packers for decades, was on a podcast with Tyler Dunn of GoLongTD.com, and McGinn blurted out some things about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I think these things even surprised Tyler Dunn. Now, McGinn weaved it together based upon his instincts, which caused some people to react derisively, as if that's the only source he cited. Instincts, knowledge of the game, knowledge of the Packers, and unnamed source with direct knowledge of the team's thinking. That's the key. In my effort to be complete as to the various areas of information that Bob McGinn was relying upon, people seized on the first one. It's not just his instincts. He knows somebody, and he clearly knows somebody. Covered the Packers for years. This guy's plugged in. And he basically said the Packers are done With Aaron Rodgers they're disgusted with Aaron Rodgers and they're ready to move on now in my mind that just complicates where things go from here because if and when Aaron Rodgers emerges from his four days locked in a closet ready to play and ready to play for the Packers how do you disconnect they owe him nearly 60 million dollars he doesn't have a no trade clause but if he only wants to play for the Packers what are they going to do McGinn suggested that they're ready to move on to Jordan Love and that Aaron Rodgers would be a $60 million backup. At some point, maybe Rodgers would just do it. Maybe he would welcome the chaos. Passive aggressive, show up. I'm here. I don't want to be traded. I'm going to do what Brett Favre didn't do. This is the point where the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers career arcs separated. Favre wanted out. He wanted to play. The Packers' attitude initially was, hey, we can carry your $12 million salary. We're moving on with Aaron Rodgers. Favre accepted the reality that if he wanted to keep playing, he was going to have to be traded. And then it was the Buccaneers, the Jets, ultimately the Jets. You know, He originally wanted to go to another NFC North team, and a year later he did. But what if Rodgers' attitude is, I'm not going to let you talk me into accepting a trade. This is where I want to be. I don't want to uproot my professional life. I want to be here. And I... I'm ready to compete with Jordan Love. Let the better man win. What if he does that? What do the Packers do? They got a mess on their hands. So I think this is the minefield they've been trying to tiptoe through. Whatever they want needs to take a backseat to letting Aaron Rodgers come to his own conclusions. Now, maybe he won't want the fight. Maybe he won't want to be the villain. But you know what? He's kind of leaned into the villain role over the past couple of years. If you haven't noticed, he's a guy who used to be obsessed about not being criticized by anyone now he's happy to have a portion of the fan base love him a portion of the fan base hate him so i don't know how he's going to react to this i don't know what he's going to do does he just brush it off does he say bob mcginn doesn't know anything they revoked his credentials several years ago or does he take it to heart and does he realize you know what they do want me out what am i going to do am i going to opt for chaos or am i going to go along and if he goes along where does he want to go If they're desperate to get rid of him, this idea that they're not going to trade him to an NFC team, at some point, that needs to take a backseat to where Aaron Rodgers wants to play. Is he willing to go to an AFC team to accommodate the Packers' desire to not have to deal with him? And if they think he's not good enough to start anymore, why do they care if he goes to another team in the division or in the conference? They should want that. They should relish the opportunity to face, maybe twice per year, maybe a third time in the postseason, a guy they know well. A guy they know what his weaknesses are. A guy they believe no longer brings it like he used to. So, look, this is the story of the offseason now that Tom Brady is retired. Assuming he stays retired. Assuming he stays retired, Aaron Rodgers is the story. And many continue to believe There's no way Aaron Rodgers retires because the last thing that he wants is five years from now to be the little special guest star line at the bottom of the marquee of the 2028 Hall of Fame class starring Tom Brady. It's already J.J. Watt knocked down to the second or third level. Aaron Rodgers will be in that same spot, too. That's what makes people think, above all else, he'll keep playing. Where will he play if he doesn't play for the green Bay Packers and who will trade for him, who will give up potentially significant draft resources to get Aaron Rodgers, and then pay him 60 million this year without any commitment from him that he's going to stay for more than one season. And also signing on to the drama, the weekly Pat McAfee show appearances. You know, one of the things I said about the Raiders, if he goes there, first thing Josh McDaniels, the head coach of the team would say to Aaron Rodgers, no more McAfee, no no more talking outside the family. That doesn't happen here. And if you have any doubts about that, this isn't the place for you to be. Would the Jets want it? Could he deal with the Jets' media and the fan base? That's something Tiki Barber raised last week. So I don't know where he goes. i thought all along he's going to want to stay with the Packers. If this is true that the Packers don't want him, it makes a fascinating story 10 times more compelling as the offseason gets in to full bloom. One of the stories that came to a conclusion on Friday, Eric Bieniemy. Now the assistant head coach and offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders. And I understand a big part of this story is why didn't he get serious consideration for a head coaching job? Five years as the offensive coordinator of the Chiefs, his two predecessors in Kansas City parlayed that spot into head coaching jobs. That's the big flaw in the argument that Andy Reid is holding Eric Bannami back. I think Stephen A. Smith made that point last week, and I have to respectfully disagree because it didn't hold back Doug Peterson. It didn't hold back Matt Nagy. They became head coaches with lesser quarterbacks with Andy Reid in charge of the offense. In comes Mahomes, enemy becomes the coordinator, and enemy can barely get interviews in this cycle. We had one with the Colts, hasn't been offered a job, and it almost feels like the sun has set, the sizzle is gone. These teams want to bring in coaches that will – excite the fan base and my point from last week i think some of these owners may be concerned that if you hire eric bienemy you're going to have 30% of your fan base shouting that you gave into the woke mob and you hired eric bienemy at a time when you know those of us in the media who are bought and paid for by the woke mob are saying why aren't you hiring eric bienemy and i think there's reason to believe that owners are sensitive to pissing off that segment of the fan base that would be triggered by Eric Bienname getting a head coaching job. But regardless, no head coaching job and a better situation for him. I've seen some folks criticize the idea that he's in a lesser spot with the commanders. That overlooks the fact, as we reported on Friday, that Eric Bienname was working on one year deals for five years with the Chiefs. He never had a multi year commitment which meant he was free to go at any time, but he also didn't have security. He's got a multi-year deal now with the Commanders. He got a raise. He got a better title. And he's running the show. That's the wish Andy Reid had for him, the opportunity to go run the show. And he could get run out of town after one year if the Commanders are sold. And We, we don't know that Dana Snyder is ultimately going to sell the team. He's falling short of the $7 billion that he supposedly wants. Will he still sell the team or not? But if he sells the team and new owner wants new coach, new coaching staff, the enemy's out, he's got security. He's got a buyout. So it would have been another year with Kansas City, not knowing what's going to happen next or having some security and more money, getting some partial financial reward for the work that he's done with the Chiefs and an opportunity to finally, maybe, possibly parlay his efforts as an offensive coordinator into a head coaching opportunity. One fascinating little wrinkle about Eric Bieniemy becoming the offensive coordinator of the Commanders, the statement made by Ron Rivera, coach of the Commanders, during Super Bowl week, said it on our show with Chris Sims and me, they're not going to pursue a veteran free agent starter. Sam Howell is QB1 entering the offseason program. At best, they'll sign a veteran backup to support and develop Sam Howell. And as I was writing something up yesterday on what I think will happen between Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. It dawned on me that maybe they're waiting to see in Washington whether the nearby Ravens ultimately apply the non-exclusive franchise tag to Lamar Jackson. There have been different thoughts out there on whether or not the Ravens go exclusive at about $45 although I think that number is going to go down by the time it locks in. If you go exclusive, you can't talk to any other teams, can't sign an offer sheet, can't do anything other than play for the Ravens or play for no one. If he doesn't sign the tender, doesn't play for anybody, sits out. We saw Le'Veon Bell do that a few years back. I doubt that at 45 million or 40 million or whatever that number is, Lamar Jackson's going to turn up his nose at that. Second, if you go non-exclusive franchise tag, that's when a team like the Commanders could say, hey, you know, we're, we're drafting fairly low this year. We almost made the playoffs. Yeah, we'll give up two first round picks to get Lamar Jackson. We'll do it. We'll do it. And this would be the setup, throwing everyone off the scent. No, we're not. No, a year after we called every team in the league, inquiring as to whether or not their quarterback is available in trade and got ridiculed for it because, yes, we even called the Chiefs. This year, we're just not even in the market. We're not considering it. Nope, 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 nope. We're going with the guy that played one game. And we think he would have been a first or a second round pick if he'd come out in the draft a year earlier. We got him at a lower level. It's a steal. He's our guy. He's our guy. He's our guy. Next question. And look, it wouldn't be the first time that somebody did a 180 for something they told us. I'm not saying Ron Rivera is lying. And and it's not like I could have asked him this question because it would be tampering for him to comment on it. But what if the truth is they think that the Ravens would be nuts to expose Lamar Jackson to the market via the non-exclusive franchise tag? That, of course, they'd give up two first-round picks. To get Lamar Jackson if he's available, of course they'd give him the five-year, fully guaranteed contract if he's available, and that's the other side of this too. You know, some of these teams may not want to get the same blowback that the Browns got last year for the Deshaun Watson deal. Well, do you think Daniel Snyder cares right now about blowback from the league? <laughs> do you do you think he he feels like he's got a he's got to tiptoe around the management council at a time when there's a sense they want to run him off? This would be the ultimate. Middle finger in the eye of the power structure if he does it. Oh, and he ties the hands of the next owner with a five-year fully guaranteed contract. Doesn't mean anything to him. He's cashing out. So I just got a weird feeling that the commander is taking the position that Howell is their guy and they're not going to pursue a veteran starter could be the first step in what culminates in if the Ravens apply the non-exclusive franchise tag. The commander's making a play for him with Eric Biennemi as the coordinator, and it wouldn't be all that difficult for Ron Rivera to explain himself if that's what they ultimately decide to do. We never thought he was going to be available. That's why we weren't planning to pursue a veteran free agent. Once he became available, that changed our calculation. The calculation has changed for the New York Giants and Daniel Jones. When I saw yesterday that he had changed agents, my first thought was, well, there's two explanations here. One CAA doesn't want to sign its name on an agreement that is less than what they think Daniel Jones should be seeking. The other explanation is Daniel Jones wants more than what CAA can get. So he changes from CAA to Athletes First. Do you really think that's going to cause the Giants to start throwing more money on the table? Is that going to change anything? If CAA can't get it, Athletes First isn't going to get it. Nobody's going to get it. The Giants have the franchise tag is the fallback, 32.416 million. Yes, in hindsight, they should have exercised the fifth-year option last year. They bet on Daniel Jones not becoming the guy that they would want to keep around. But when you start running the numbers, and I'll defer to the post at PFT, if he's really looking for upwards of $45 million per year, and I've gotten no pushback, frankly, after writing that last night from anyone on that being the range, 45 million or more for Daniel Jones. If that's the number. And again, I'll defer to the post because I can't remember the specific numbers, but you start at 32.416 million. You multiply that by 20% for year two. I think it's around 71 million total over two years. That's about $36 million. And then even if you would do a third tag at a 44% increase, the average over three years is about 42 million. You're still ahead of the game if you're the Giants, and you've had the flexibility to make sure that last year wasn't the aberration that last year is something he can sustain. Think about it. Defenses are gonna spend the offseason trying to figure out what Daniel Jones did so well and come up with strategies to stop it from happening. And now that it looks like Jones is headed for the franchise tag, Saquon Barkley may be gone. Good luck replicating a great 2022 if the running back that helped you have that great season isn't on the team anymore. So just some factors to consider as the Giants now find themselves on the front end of what could be a year-to-year franchise tag dance that may extend for three full years. But he's got to keep playing well for it to happen. Because at any point, if he nosedives, if he becomes the guy that he was the first three years of his career, you just don't pick up the franchise tag, you let him hit the open market, and he's not going to get the kind of money that he thinks he would get now. And that's the other side of it, too. If he would hit the open market now, what is he really going to get with so many other options out there? Is there going to be a team out there that offers him 45 million a year? I, I know that all it takes is one team. And I know that teams throw money at guys in free agency for reasons other than winning football games. Owners get caught up in winning the offseason, winning the press conference, selling tickets, generating excitement. Daniel Jones is not Mr. Excitement. I don't know that holding up a Daniel Jones jersey at the press conference is going to sell out all the season tickets and sell 100,000 jerseys right out of the gates. So I think the Giants have every reason to keep him. They may appreciate the opportunity to just use the franchise tag. Give it another year. Let's see what he does. If he has another great year, then we can talk about 40 or 45 million. But you got to prove it to us before we're going to go into that kind of a stratosphere. The XFL returned for the third time. 2001, 2020, 2023. Now, I didn't watch much of it. I just can't bring myself to do it. I go back to the USFL's first season of 1983. I was so excited about it. I loved the idea of it. And it was March, and I sat on the edge of my bed, and I turned on the little nine-inch black and white TV, and I started watching the game. Yeah, I'm that old. I started watching the game in that March of 1983 spring. What's the saying? When a young man's fancy turns to thoughts of love or whatever. I wasn't even 18 yet. I was 17. I was a senior in high school. I don't want to sit inside middle of March and watch a football game. It's not football season. So I continue to struggle with that. It's not football season. Why do I care about football when it's not football season? But I will say this, people do care. I see the traffic that the stories we post about the XFL and the USFL on the website. I see the engagement on Twitter. People care. So I'm not going to, to just ignore it. We're going to cover it. May not watch the games for now, but we're going to cover it. I needed a weekend off. It's been a long season. Just wasn't interested. Now yesterday's game between the San Antonio Brahmas and the St. Louis BattleHawks. it was 15 to three with a minute and a half left. And the team that had three points won the game because they scored a touchdown, they did a three-point conversion, they ran the 4th and fifteen play to retain possession, they scored a touchdown to win the game. So it is exciting. And even if you're down 12 points with a minute and a half left, you can still win the game. And it's not all that crazy of a path of events to make it happen. So we'll see how it goes. One of the keys is attendance. 17,000 in Arlington on Saturday, 17,000 in Houston on Saturday, 12,000 in D.C. on Sunday, but 24,000-plus in San Antonio, which they announced will host the XFL championship game in May. We'll see what happens. We'll see how it goes. And the USFL is going to have some overlap. They don't come back until April 15. So the XFL has the stage to itself for two months. Both leagues will be going for a little while. The XFL ends the middle of May and the USFL runs into July. And I got an email today telling me that the USFL is having its first ever college draft tomorrow. This is a very interesting psychological exercise. You start before the NFL draft even happens. Who do you draft? And, you know, if there's 250 draft picks, there's a thousand kids who think they're going to be drafted. There are always more kids going into the NFL draft who believe they're going to be drafted than actually get drafted. So where's the sweet spot? Where do you pick that guy who has the self-awareness that he's not going to be drafted, And is happy to come play for you and actually thinks maybe he can become the next Cavante Turpin, the guy who parlays a great USFL season into an NFL opportunity. And would there be guys who think maybe I'm going to be a low round draft pick, but I'll just go play in the USFL, hone my skills, and then go to training camp after the USFL season ends. I mean, at some point you got to rest your body. So it's just, it's a fascinating question and we'll see who gets drafted and how many of those guys sign a contract and how many of them say, no, thanks, I'm going to wait and see if I get drafted. And then if they don't get drafted, what are they going to do? Do they sign as an undrafted player? I mean, think about it. you got 90 guys on the roster when it's all said and done for 32 teams. How many of those leftover guys are going to go play in the USFL, especially at the time when the train has already started moving for the second spring league? we got two spring leagues this year, XFL 3.0 and the second year of USFL 2.0. And at some point, I have to accept the fact that It's football. It's on TV. People are watching it, so I'll have to watch it.
0: For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation, and you were like, I'm serious, if that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course, don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface.
1: Let's answer some questions, shall we? I may have covered some of the topics. Topics already that came up. I looked at these earlier, skimmed them. A lot of times I'll do this and not even look at them ahead of time. First thing I have to do is actually find the tweet from several hours ago where I asked for her questions. Here it is. Not a ton, which is good. Let's just scroll through here. Best thing you've grilled lately, is always, one of the first questions comes from the PFTPM account because I follow that account. I haven't turned on my grill since football season started. I just haven't done it. May have made steaks one time, but that's it. So it may be time when it warms up a little bit to fire up the grill. PFT PM Posse again. What's your pasta and meatball's gut feeling on what Saquon Barkley gets per year on the open market? The first two years of that is likely all that's relevant. I you know, franchise tag for him would be 10 million. Top of the market is like 16 million. The risk with a running back is he's one play away from not being able to play. And you've taken on that significant financial risk. If you're the team, he had a great season. He had a great rookie year. He was kind of lost in the weeds years, two, three, and four, because of those injuries. I, I think, I think 12 with the ability to kick it to 13, 14, or 15, based on performance incentives per game, roster bonuses, make him be able to play, you know, you maximize the payment based upon how much he does for you. There's an acknowledgement by both sides that injuries, dramatically affect the value of the player it wouldn't shock me but there's a lot of free agent running backs this year and the other thing is every year there's a new crop of running backs with full tread on the tire coming into the nfl you can draft them in any round you can draft them not at all and that's the other side of this too how much do you pay for the name how much do you pay for the past accomplishments again it's no longer what have you done for me lately it's what are you doing for me right now and what will you do for me tomorrow i may be optimistic excessively on what Saquon Barkley could get but I'd like to think I'd like to think short term you know the cap keeps going up these numbers seem big until you consider the fact that cap keeps going up and up and up so 12 to 14 doesn't seem all that unreasonable for a guy who can have a huge impact on the offense but the guarantees won't be much beyond the first year I doubt that there'll be these rolling guarantees that tie the team's hand the way the Ezekiel Elliott contract kept the cowboys from doing anything about it he's likely going to be available as well unless he redoes his deal with the cowboys to dramatically reduce his salary and cap hip so it's going to be interesting my gut pasta and meatballs 12 with the ability to kick it up to 15 but the market and the options and the draft class could change that significantly one more from pftpm posse if lamar jackson gets his fully guaranteed contract what will go down is the better strategy, his or Deshaun Watson's? Without question, it was Deshaun Watson's. I mean, because he got a five-year fully guaranteed deal at a time when he had 20-plus civil lawsuits pending. He was under contract with the Texans. The first challenge was convince the Texans to trade him. They didn't have to trade him. They agreed to it. Then they put together this contest where he had four teams at the table. And just at the right moment, they shrugged the Browns out of the mix And then lo and behold, the Browns had alienated Baker Mayfield. They got desperate. They swung back in with a five-year fully guaranteed contract. And that was that. Lamar Jackson's strategy has been to sit back and wait for someone to just drop a Sean Watson contract offer on the table. And that's not how it works. That's not how it works. The Ravens aren't going to do it. And even if the Ravens apply the non-exclusive franchise tag and any team out there can sign him to an offer sheet, there still has to be negotiation at some point. You don't just sit back and wait for somebody to show up with their bottom line. Nobody leads with their chin. Now, if somebody has decided we want this guy and this is the approach that we need to take to get him, then so be it. There's always a danger you're going to get squeezed off of your bottom line if you show up with your bottom line as an opener. But with Lamar Jackson, if your opener is your bottom line and it matches what he wants you may not have to worry about getting squeezed off of it. See, that's one of the benefits of dealing with a guy who doesn't have an agent. Once you give him what he wants, you ain't going to ask for any more. The challenge is getting yourself to the point where you give him what he wants. And do you want to sign on for five years fully guaranteed with a quarterback who's missed plenty of games due to injury over the past couple of years? All right. Neil watches PFT. Too late to get my question in. Glad to see the old PFT PM firing up the carburetor again. I did you fire up a carburetor? I don't know if enough about cars to know the answer to that, but it doesn't, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound right to me. PFT PM posse, Sean Payton seems like a target from the league office due to Bounty Gate not postponing the game during COVID fines during COVID, et cetera. Will his new team be as scrutinized or was it scrutinized excuse me or was it more of a Saints problem with a league office layoff because of the money of the Broncos owners I, I I I still think there's reason to believe that there are forces within the league office that aren't fans of Sean Payton dating back to Bounty Gate and I think Payton's told the story about how he believed that the league office would have preferred that he just be fired by the Saints at the time So, I don't know. Is there a bias against Sean Payton? Is there a bias against whatever team he's coaching? I know there's been some concerns that others have reported on, not just about the number of penalties called on the Saints when Payton was the coach, but the number of penalties not called on the Saints' opponents when Payton was the coach. It's very easy to say, oh, we're the most penalized team in the NFL. The other question is, how many penalties are they calling on the teams that we're playing? And are we statistically the lowest for multiple years running? And how does that happen? What kind of random non-penalty generator do you have to run to have the Saints as the team that ranks at the bottom for multiple years when it comes to their opponents being penalized so I think there's reason to wonder I still have questions about the report that came out of the blue from the Washington Post that Sean Payton had a concern about someone in ownership being an issue there being a power struggle obviously didn't keep him from taking the job he felt compelled to refute it on Twitter but it just makes me wonder whether or not there are forces that still have a bias against Sean Payton, a vendetta, if you will. It didn't keep him from getting that job. We'll see if it affects the way that job goes for him in the coming years. NFL leads. I know you may choose to ignore this. Well, guess what, NFL leads? I didn't. But why did no one mention the tampering situation when Payton was doing the rounds at Radio Row? It feels like he has been given a pass and should be held to a higher standard. Than a player. This goes back to what went on last year when Sean Payton resigned his job at the Saints after Tom Brady retired with the Buccaneers and retired from the Buccaneers in an effort for the two of them to get to Miami and work together. Look, here's the reality, especially with Sean Payton, who is mesmerizing when he talks about football. When you have him for 20 minutes, if you get three questions in, you're doing well. And he's going to know how to stick handle his way through any difficult situation. So you can ask him a question that feels like a tough question. He's going to know how to take that tough question and turn it into a non-answer that just chews up the time that you have to ask him questions that maybe he would give you something useful about. That's the short answer. That's the true answer. That's how you properly interview someone. These aren't Pete Rose and Jim Gray moments where you're going to harass somebody, especially at the Super Bowl, when everything has kind of a positive vibe to it. That isn't the time. go earn your journalism chops that's the time to have a casual positive conversation that maybe you can draw something interesting from and anyone that hasn't watched our sean payton interview i'll stack that up with any other interview of sean payton that was done during super bowl week we got more out of him we got him in a very loose and comfortable setting and he said some very interesting things about his process how he operates And what he plans to do with the Denver Broncos. If we start asking him questions about, oh, isn't it true, sir, that last year you were working behind the scenes with Stephen Ross to try to become the coach of the Dolphins. First of all, we already know it's true. So what's he going to say? What's he going to say in response to it? And then what happens is he shuts down. He doesn't have a loose, comfortable, relaxed conversation and tell us stuff that if you've watched the interview, and I've heard from people who watched it twice That's how interested they were in what he had to say. You don't get that if you treat it like a congressional inquiry. That's the reality. That's how you get compelling content. You can't go in there and try to beat the person over the head with a stick, especially in a setting like that. Radio Row, everybody's selling something. It's positive. It's supposed to be positive. But in those confines, you can still have a very interesting and revealing conversation, which is what I think we achieved with him and most of the guests we had on during super bowl week delete brow here's a deep question what's the greatest threat to the nfl's popularity is it the conundrum of officiating live versus the totality of video broadcast and recording is it image is it its image as decrepit sclerotic and self-serving i got to go look up what sclerotic means that sounds like a word that if chris sims said it i would think it's not a word i'll defer to our good friend to that it is a word I I really do think the biggest threat is the tone deaf approach to the flaws with officiating because all it's going to take is one big controversy and then they're going to have Congress or the justice department or a brand new agency that regulates professional sports up their butts. One of the examples I Share whenever this topic comes up in a setting like this or just talking about it privately. The SEC, not the Southeast Conference, but the Securities and Exchange Commission, didn't exist until five years after the stock market crash of 1929. It takes a big mess to get Congress to create new regulatory agencies, to do new things. They have to be addressing a problem that manifested itself with some significant negative outcome. It's gonna take a big scandal, a Tim Donahy type thing, or mishandling of inside information, material non-public information that teams have in all shapes and forms. A big controversy will start the path toward a reaction. And I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, but, There are plenty of ambitious federal prosecutors out there that would surely love nothing more than to put someone of prominence in their sights, someone with power, someone with money, someone with fame, or some combination of the three. If they think they're doing something wrong and they can prove it in court beyond a reasonable doubt, you better watch out for that. You better watch out for Congress and you better be worried about the establishment of an agency that would take oversight of the NFL. That's the last thing they want. They want to run their own business. They don't want anyone else telling them what to do. The last thing they should want is an agency that will tell them what to do and how to do it. This is from Evan Edmiston. What's the likelihood of Lamar Jackson being traded this offseason? This was the bottom line of the story I wrote yesterday. I think the Ravens are going to apply the non-exclusive tag. And then the question becomes, will someone, will someone – Offer him that five-year fully guaranteed contract. Just drop it in front of him. And the other question is, if it's a team like the Commanders who have a top 10 pick, there may be a way there to work a trade with the Ravens instead of giving up the two first-round picks to go from signing to an offer sheet that the Ravens wouldn't match because you're getting a top 10 pick. Do the Commanders have a top 10 pick? Somebody has a top. No, not the Commanders. I'm sorry. I misspoke. The Falcons and the Panthers are the two teams I was thinking about. They both have top 10 picks. The Falcons are a team that Sims believes may make a move on Lamar Jackson, but hey, you know, it's a top 10 pick. So you could sit back and wait for somebody to sign to an offer sheet that's lurking in the 20s this year, or you could take that top 10 pick plus whatever else we work out by way of a trade, you move on from Lamar Jackson and you have that top 10 pick. So I think there's a very real chance he gets traded under the scenario of non-exclusive tag, someone offers him the contract that he wants, And then you work out a trade relative to making it happen instead of the two first round draft picks. I think a chance of a trade is very real and we should keep an eye on it. Dr. J144, did Bill Belichick get off a little easy in the media with hiring Joe Judge and Matt Patricia to run his offense? Those were inexcusable hires. I feel like any other coach who did that and it went as badly as it did would have been burned at the stake on social media. Hey, I said going in, if this was any other coach, we would be laughing openly at the idea that you take a former defensive coordinator who was a failed head coach, not necessarily all his fault, but still that's his resume. And you make him your offensive coordinator. And then you take a special teams coordinator who was a failed head coach. Again, maybe not necessarily all his fault, didn't have great talent, but look at what Brian Dayball did with that talent in one year. And you make him the quarterback's coach. Doesn't make any sense. I know there were folks in the building up there that were stunned. When Joe Judge came back as quarterback's coach, they thought, okay, he's coming back. He's joining the staff, special teams. Nope, quarterbacks. So it was a disaster. It was a mess. And to his credit, Bill Belichick realized it wasn't sustainable. He either realized it on his own or he got a little pressure from above. Either way, it's encouraging that Belichick has the willingness after all those rings to make a change. Because if things don't get better soon, how long do those six rings really last? How much does that buy you? Jason Garrett and I got into a little argument about this during one of our our Applebee's segments early in the season. How many chips does Bill Belichick have in front of him? He had a lot more before this season, and he burned a lot of them off. How many more years of not making the playoffs? How many more years of making the playoffs and losing by 30 in Buffalo in the first round? How many more years of not winning a playoff game? Robert Kraft, the owner of the team, Publicly expressed dismay last year that it had been three years since they won a playoff game, their last postseason victory, Super Bowl 53. Five years now going into this season. How many more years before Patriots fans stop showing up for the games? How many more years of just this sluggish feel, especially on the offense? Bill O'Brien, kind of a Hail Mary play by Bill Belichick to turn this thing around. And one of the big questions for me is whether Mac Jones is even going to be the quarterback. I think O'Brien's going to have a lot of say over that. And I still think there's a chance Mac Jones ends up getting traded to the Raiders and reuniting with Josh McDaniels. And they had a great relationship and it worked well in 2021. And I think one of the reasons things worked so poorly in 22 is Mac Jones was able to compare and contrast what it was like with Josh McDaniels, what it was like. With Matt Patricia. All right, I should probably wrap this up. These things just end up taking on a life of their own. Why does the NFL add an extra bye week? Asks Tomas Spena. The networks hate it. They did it in 1993. The networks hated it because it dilutes the slate of games. Now, in 1993, there were only 26 teams or 28 teams? 28 teams in 1993. There's 32 now. There's more teams. So maybe it doesn't dilute it as much, but adding a second buy does give you more weekends. It gives you more standalone windows. It gives you more of those games where everyone can tune in at the same time. That could be part of the push to extend the season. I think their primary objective though, is to add an 18th game. They're not giving up on that. That's just dormant. It was a decade or so ago that they made the push to try to go from 16 to 18. Then they realized it doesn't really mesh with the whole health and safety thing. So they backed off in the last CBA. That's how they got to 17. And I think it's just a matter of time before they try to get to 18. And then after that, I could see a a future where they try to get to 20 and just have no preseason because let's face it. The first month of the regular season, is basically preseason anyway, I could see that happen or I could see getting them to uh, expand more teams. It's the only way to get more inventory if you can't grow the season. Let's see what else we have here. Our good friend Tom Marshall, a red zone of UK. You touched on it with Peter King. With Sean Payton in the AFC West, is he now the biggest threat to Patrick Mahomes' chances of catching Tom Brady? Look, I don't I don't I don't know that anybody can stop this Kansas City Chiefs train. I, I think Sean Payton may need another quarterback by the time it happens. And look, if Andy Reid and the t- Chiefs hadn't traded up to number 10 from 27 in a 2017 draft and the Saints were sitting there at number 11. Payton was taking Mahomes and Payton would still be the coach of the Saints right now if he had gotten Mahomes. You don't walk away from Mahomes and Payton to his credit walking into the division that has Mahomes. It's going to require a lot on defense and I think one of these questions deals with the idea of Rex Ryan being the defensive coordinator. I'm not necessarily opposed to that. He's a good defensive coordinator. The reality is, after he coached the Jets and got fired, coached the Bills and got fired, he went into TV, he could have gone back to be a defensive coordinator. He could still coordinate the hell out of the defense. Sean Payton's got to be able to control him and harness him and point him in the right direction. But he could do a damn good job. They've got that very aggressive blitz package. It's unpredictable. It, it gives team teams fits. I don't know. Maybe Rex Ryan could cook something up that would uh, that would slow down the Chiefs just enough that maybe the Broncos could finally maybe just beat them once. Maybe that's a win. Maybe get a trophy for that. Finally found a way. Hang a banner if you're an Indy to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, let's let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. There's plenty of great questions here. Do me a favor. We'll do this later in the week. If I didn't get to your question, ask it again. I can't guarantee I won't ignore it again, but uh, I don't know. I've probably been going 45, 50 minutes here. So with that, I will shut up for now. Thank you for giving us a listen. Thank you for tuning in. You'll see some of these clips at PFT as we go for the week without PFT Live. So we need some video content. So as always, we appreciate you very much. We'll be posting all week long. We'll be back with PFT Live next Monday. And then after the show, we head to Indianapolis. Indianapolis, that is. Kid Can't Even Talk. The Scouting Combine. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again